0: How and why do people disappear?
1: Have you brought somebody in to help you disappear? Have you actually disappeared? We will deal with missing persons on a daily basis, so we're the national experts. Every year, over 300,000 reports of a missing person are made to the police.
2: Even if you're not doing anything wrong, you're being watched.
1: You'll go missing and we'll allow it. Anything that you're, that you're, never you're doing, you're basically we are moving are perfectly
2: capable of holding on to important secrets. People set up hundreds. Who here has... Your duly elected representatives have been consistently informed by those
0: somebody go missing without a trace? I'm not sure.
2: Our laptops, we dream on them.
0: I'm Tim Weaver, author of the David Raker series. Over the course of missing, I'll be investigating how people can vanish in the 21st century and how we find them again. Join me as I speak with experts in forensics, human behaviour, surveillance and investigation and we look into the art of disappearance. Last week I spoke to Renata Sampson of Big Brother Watch and talked about the ways in which we leave traces of ourselves online. From the websites we browse, to the emails we send, to the metadata we leave on our mobile phones. But even if I removed every digital trace from my life, if I deleted my Facebook account and never used another cash machine, I'd still be surrounded by surveillance technology wherever I went. Now, in the case of somebody disappearing, yes,
2: I've been involved in systems that are effectively covert, which are looking for runaway children. And they've been put into shopping centers with cameras that you don't know are there and they're very successful, and they work extremely well. Hi, I'm Clive Reedman. I am a director of the European Division of the International Association for Identification. I'm also a director of SmilePass Limited, who are a company bringing biometric technology to market.
0: Clive sounds like the perfect man to speak to about the art of disappearing. He mentioned his expertise in the world of biometrics, and many of us would probably have heard that word but not fully understand it. I started off by asking them to explain what they are. It's really just number crunching and that's what biometrics actually is.
2: It's now effectively becoming slowly but accelerating part of everybody's daily life. It's not just the question of travelling and having your face embedded in the UK passport or in the European passport etc. People are now using on like, iPhones, laptops, it's becoming normal. when you actually consider what happens if you enroll on an iPhone, for instance. All that actually happens, and this is pretty much standard throughout all biometric systems, is you donate a sample in some way, be it your iris, your face, your fingerprint, etc. That image is then encoded mathematically. It's a correlation of various features, etc., and it's turned into what's known as a template, which is a very small file of numbers which can be encrypted, etc. It doesn't need to go anywhere else because all that's gonna happen the next time around when you go to unlock your phone is the same thing will happen. It will compare it against the template that's already held on the phone. So it's not had to go anywhere and it will either unlock it or it won't
0: unlock it. Let's just pause there for a minute because it's worth reiterating what biometrics actually are. It's things like fingerprinting, voice patterns and facial recognition it's physical characteristics, like the distance between your eyes or the individuality of your voice, reduced to a set of numbers. Essentially, it's the retina scanning and speaker recognition that you might have thought only exist in Bond or Mission Impossible movies.
2: There's an actual assumption in the public world that walking down the street with CCTV cameras, you're being identified. Well, you're not. You're being recorded, but you're not being identified. There are systems around the country now which can do that. But of course it requires that you've been enrolled into that system for some reason. And enrolment is always a part of biometrics, which means is the initial capture. It's what creates that base template in the first place against which you're matched. Now all of the CCTV that's being used in London, etc., may have biometric elements to it, but it's only looking for those people
0: that it needs to look for. Remember not too long ago how there was a real novelty to doing something like unlocking your iPhone with your thumbprint? Well, now the technology is here, it's established, and it brings with it very real consequences as far as civil liberties campaigners are concerned.
1: I think people feel secure unless they actually properly think about it, and then they feel a little bit nervous that they're being monitored wherever they go.
0: You may have just recovered from what Renata Sampson said in the last episode about the data trail we leave behind. Well, strap in, because this week I asked her about surveillance.
1: Cameras are everywhere, and potentially are going to become even more everywhere. Um, For example, we are conscious that... Taxis now have CCTV cameras installed, partly on the outside for insurance purposes. Insurance companies are encouraging taxi drivers to attach CCTV so that should an accident occur, they can establish who's liable. So if you're walking down the street and you've managed to avoid a load of CCTV cameras on the street but a taxi drives by you or a bus, um, you could be picked up on their CCTV. Also, let's not forget, a lot of cyclists now have GoPro cameras. Motorcyclists or bicycle riders uh, have cameras on them filming themselves as they're riding through town. You're being picked up on that. If you're in Scotland right now, if you're in Edinburgh, there's a tourist attraction called the Camera Obscura that actively encourages children to spy on people as they walk down the street.
2: Now, how often do we see in crime investigation something happens, there's a robbery, the police go around and collect X number of videotapes from shops, they view council tapes, etc. But they have to physically sit down then and view them because there is no other matching that can be done. That is changing. Because now, of course, we can rapidly take that video at very high speed, enrol a picture of the person we're looking for, so we're retrospectively adding somebody to a database, but it's a database of one, and then searching all of those faces that are passing against that. Now, that's the way it will happen. People will seem to assume that what will happen is all our faces will be captured and will be tracked But why do I need to know that Tim Weaver has gone down this particular street, then that particular street? It just creates masses of data, which is of no use to anybody. So why would anybody need to do that? It's not a question of these databases existing for every individual in the country and us tracking them, because there's no reason to do it. Absolutely none, unless you want it to happen.
0: So the authorities have our faces on film, even if they're not looking for us. But what if they are looking for us? I asked Clive what other areas of biometrics there are. It's
2: actually, with the company I'm working with at the moment, um, SmilePass, the the initial delivery there it's a very good case in point, is going to be facial recognition and voice recognition, uh, or speaker verification, as it really should be called, because voice Recognition is really the sort of things that banks use or you'll use on the phone, speak the words. and It understands the words. What we're talking about in speaker verification is is identifying the person that is actually speaking those words. Your voice creates waves and it's those waves, those peaks, those troughs um, that are really producing that unique characteristic of your voice. We all have mobile phones these days. We're always using them all the time. It's the ability to be able to capture that data and then search it against databases. The ultimate, if you like, aim of the industry or as a visionaries in the the world is the ubiquitous biometric. This is what I really have called the walkthrough biometric where we don't actually really consider ourselves Um, engaging with various sensors, capture devices. They just are around us, we're used to them. And they're actually helping us in our daily lives. It's the kind of scenario that I walk down the street to get on the bus, as soon as I do, the bus recognises me or the sensor on the bus without me having to do anything, I can just go and sit down, it bills my credit card. When I need to pay my credit card, I can put my fingerprint and on sensor and all my bills get paid or I don't even have to touch it. Some other characteristic does it for me. It becomes, as I said, ubiquitous. And I think that's where we will be in 10 years' time.
0: A ubiquitous biometric, have a think about that. As Clive states, it would allow you to do something as simple as step onto a bus in the morning without the need for your card. Your body, your biometric information, would register payment for your journey. Your individual characteristics are those numbers in that template, and they're held somewhere in a database, and that database helps connect your bus company to your bank. It's incredibly convenient. Unless, of course, you want to disappear. So I read a story online recently about how people at the Download Festival uh, this summer 2015 had their faces photographed by Leicestershire police. Can
1: you tell us a little more about that? Yes, I mean, this story is completely... Staggering, really. Um, Leicestershire police were testing facial recognition technology on a gathered group of music fans in Leicestershire. So they were scanning people's faces using this biometric software, which makes points across your face and gathers your details, your eyes and everything else. Uh, and then they, my understanding was that they were then comparing it against a European database to spot criminals that may have been in the crowd. Now, when this story broke, the concern and the outrage was quite staggering. People don't expect when they go to a festival to be monitored. We've talked about CCTV and we kind of accept to a degree that we're going to be followed as we walk down the street. But we know that we can dodge in and out of that if need be. Or if we want to. Um, but to go to a festival, to be there to have a good time, to let your hair down and to relax, but know that you're being surveyed the whole time and being then compared against a database made people feel very, very on edge. Now, it was buried deeply in the terms and conditions of that ticket. It shouldn't be in my opinion, part of the agreement you make to go to a festival that you agree to be surveyed. If that was on my ticket and I read my terms and conditions, I would question whether or not I wanted to go. And it would be very interesting to know if those terms and conditions were released prior to purchase or not. But we're constantly having to make decisions about what we do. And surveillance shouldn't be the thing that we're having to consider.
0: And the interesting thing with it is that you would, like you say, you would go to a music festival not expecting to have your photograph taken by the police force. I mean, traditionally, you would expect to have your photograph taken by a police force if you've done something bad or or were suspected of
1: something. Exactly. I mean, unless the police were... I'm being fatuous now, but unless the police particularly took against that sort of music, why on earth would they care who was in the crowd? Large groups of people shouldn't be surveyed and checked against a database to see if you're a criminal from here or around the world. Now, they were saying, the police were saying that they were using it to check on mobile theft. And obviously, if you have your mobile phone stolen, that's a devastating thing, particularly because of the amount of information that you store on it. It's your life in your pocket. I don't know, but I would imagine that mobile crime is probably quite profound at music festivals. However, you're not a criminal, <laughs> you know. Not everybody in that crowd is a criminal. And so handing over your face just to enjoy some music, it seems a little bit of a, of an extreme trade-off.
2: Now, the biggest danger that the civil liberties areas, etc., will quite rightly focus on, is the danger of now those large databases of civil-held applications being available... Because at the moment, there's an assumption that all this data is available. It's not. It's in diverse places all over the place, and it's all in different standards. It's all different proprietary standards, different companies provide it, it's captured in different ways. It's actually very, very difficult to share any of that data.
1: We are all voyeurs. But also, we all want to keep ourselves safe, but we don't consider the implications as to what that may mean. But let's also not forget that even if none of these CCTV cameras existed, you could still walk down the street and be picked up on someone's photograph. And with people taking photos and filming everything on their mobile telephones, that probably happens more than you'd imagine.
0: OK, so you talked a little bit uh, just now about CCTV. I was staggered by uh, some figures I read, uh, I think on your website, about how uh, Britain is home to 20% of the world's CCTV cameras.
1: And the interesting thing is, is whilst there's approximately one CCTV camera for every 14 people in this country, um, the amount of crime that they actually solve is very, very low. Car theft, car crime is pretty much the only area of crime where CCTV has been shown to be effective.
0: Okay, so if someone's disappeared then, what value would biometrics have in trying to find them? What you have to realise, I think,
2: with, with the technology around biometrics is it's usually far better at identifying people than we are. We always make the assumption and people will say, well, you know, humans are always the best person or the best at identifying people they know. Well, actually, they're not. Technology doesn't go to sleep, but it doesn't tend to make many mistakes. And it works a lot quicker than we do. Now, in all biometrics, it's really looking at a correlation. What it's really saying was, what is the distance between various points on your face, between your eyes, the bridge of your nose, etc.? Now... Growing a beard isn't going to make any difference to the technology. It will to the human being, to the human eye. Developing a stoop immediately changes your ability to recognise somebody. Their physical stance makes a difference, but to the technology it makes no difference at all. It's only looking at pure data, um, which isn't even really affected much by
0: age. That's really interesting. So the sort of old Hollywood cliché about growing a beard and kind of growing your hair long makes no difference whatsoever the growing the beard,
2: even putting glasses on, etc. isn't going to make any real difference to the technology. But but that in your general question about disappearing is interesting. Because how often when you think, well, what biometrics are actually held about me now? Basically, it's going to be my face, it sits on my passport. I spent two years project managing that original implementation of that. But unless I use that passport, nobody knows that. But if I'm using my mobile phone and I'm logging in with my fingerprint, then by definition, you know where I am within the inch in London and even what height I'm at in London. And the same will happen when we're using biometrics totally in our everyday life. The ability to be able to track someone will be a great possibility. To me, the way to disappear is to disappear in full sight. And I don't see any reason at the moment why that doesn't happen. Go and live on the streets in Brighton. No one will ever find you again. No one will ever see you. Become different from what you were in such a way that nobody wants to to see you anymore.
0: Last week I joked, well, semi-joked, that the scale of the online trail we leave behind was vaguely terrifying. But I think Renata trumped it this week when she talked about CCTV cameras. Her revelation that the UK has more cameras than any other country in the world really is quite unsettling. I mean, why do we even need that level of surveillance? We're an island of 70 million people and we've got 20% of the world's cameras. Are we really that bad? What was interesting was what Clive was saying, that we may well be the most surveilled country on Earth, and we probably are on camera somewhere at most points in the day, but to the police or the government, we're just inconsequential faces in a crowd until we become that face in the crowd, that specific face those organisations are looking for. That delivered a level of reassurance, I think, and as Renata stated herself, I doubt anyone is against CCTV, It's more to do with how those cameras are used and how they might be abused, I guess. It was fascinating to hear Clive talk about the ways in which we can be identified through biometrics too. You can turn off the internet and shut down your Twitter account, but you can't turn off your face, unfortunately. Having technology that allows you to ID someone despite surgery or beard growth or a hairstyle change or a set of colored contact lenses makes disappearing from view even harder than ever. So once I've unplugged the internet, dumped my phone and moved to a hut on the Outer Hebrides where no one knows me and there are no cameras, I'm safe, right? Unfortunately not. I'm still a human. I've still got a personality. I've got habits and characteristics. I express emotions and I like company. And that can get me found. Next week on Missing. There are people who maintain secrets
2: throughout their lives that are only revealed after their death. The big mistake is people forget and don't realize that our laptops, we dream on them.